Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. If you're new around here, here's how we do things. I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. For today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the finale of Euphoria Season 2. Longtime listeners will know that I broke down the first few episodes and most recently broke down Episode 5, and that leaves 6, 7, and 8. I'm not going to break down 6 and 7. I am going to briefly touch on those episodes, but the main purpose of this conversation is going to be discussing that crazy finale we just had and discussing the overall season as a whole. So without further ado, let's roll the intro and get right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. Episodes 6 and 7 were really addressing the fallout of all the craziness that went down in episode 5, which was Rue kind of spiraling and having her rock bottom hit, you know. We discussed how she burned her bridges with all her friends and family, kind of, you know, exploded bombs all around and ended up in a very dangerous situation herself at the end of that episode. The rest of the season doesn't address everything that happened at Laurie's house. I am still under the assumption that Rue has a debt to pay, and I think that season three will be unpacking the trauma of everything that went down there. Like I said in the previous episode, I really do think that some really bad things happened to her in that situation, so definitely scary. Picking up the pieces of all her wreckage, we see Rue reaching out to Ali, her sponsor, that character. And I really I really like this scene. I like how they handled it, her call to him and kind of having a call to apologize. Her narration uh, is most powerful when she says that she regrets that she said to Ali everything that she said to him and reducing his life to a single moment, his worst moment. And now that she's kind of hit rock bottom, done very terrible things, she can kind of understand that your worst moment doesn't define you, or at least that it shouldn't. And her her call on the phone with him was very powerful. And the response that he gives is honestly a, like a very powerful sentiment that I've kind of taken with me. It's that the hour is certain to come that we must forgive graciously. And that's the attitude that he gives in response. We then see him even connecting with Rue's family, coming over for dinner, easily give, being able to give like fatherly influence for Gia, Rue's sister, and having great banter with everyone. And he's honestly kind of uh, the missing piece in their life right now without a father figure that helps them all cohesively interact without there being kind of that drama. He easily would be a great stand-in figure to be a new stepfather. And it kind of, watching this episode, I feel like it's easy to put him into that role. And I would be interested to see if that kind of progresses into that a little bit further along. But overall, Ollie's just a great character. He really holds it down. He's easily like the, the most wise one around. Episode six is also the episode that we see Kat trying to break up with Ethan, and Ethan really comes out as being one of the best characters in the series from this episode. When she's trying to like flip the table on him and like gaslight him into thinking that it's his fault and everything, um, he stands his ground and he is very firm in calling Kat out on her bullshit. This is a guy who is fully self-realized and doesn't take bullshit, and he sees through all the nonsense that's going on. He's absolutely the like main king to emerge out of this season especially that's made all the more clear when we get into Lexi's play that plays out through episode seven is really his shining moment uh especially during the musical number where he's really calling out Nate Jacobs in the I need a hero I mean 
we'll get into how the hell this play is even possible to be produced by a bunch of high schoolers but that was a magnificent performance and this ethan character is easily the coolest one around right now that being said after we get that big breakup scene between cat and ethan uh really he's the one who breaks up with her even though she tries to hold her ground that that isn't kind of the case we don't get anything else with the cat character she's just kind of switzerland between maddie and cassie but she's just there she really doesn't have any complexity to her character at this point. Season one, she was interesting. I mean, I really liked that she was kind of finding her sexuality. She's doing this whole webcam thing. And they were exploring that in a nuanced way and like the sexual relationships that she was having. But her plotline has been reduced to this one little thing between her and Ethan. And it just isn't interesting. And like, what's going on with her webcam? They keep showing us that she's doing it. But what are the layers to that? How does she feel about that? Where is she getting more confidence? It's just... There's a lot of potential for her character, and she's fallen so flat. She's easily the least interesting character in the series right now. And it's a shame, because in season one, she was a character I thought was genuinely interesting. So, I don't know. Maybe season three can pick it back up with Kat, but that's, you know, as far as the rest of these episodes go, that's all there is to talk about her. In these episodes, we're also seeing a lot of development between Lexi and Fez, and they are easily the cutest couple that's ever come out of this series. I thought I loved Rue and Jules in season one. Fez and Lexi is the romance I did not know I needed. Uh, we, you know, we, we're not getting into the finale quite yet here, but leading up to there, we get plenty of scenes of their, of, we really get to see how they talk and how they communicate and how they connect as like a couple. And it's kind of like opposites attract in a weird way, but they're just so genuine, the both of them. And the kind of safe place that they find with each other is just so heartfelt, so genuine, and sets the stage for the heartbreaking finale that we get later on. At this point, we also are seeing a lot of fallout from the revelation that Cassie slept with Nate and kind of dealing with her being a villain now. She's having a really tough time with her sister and her mom, lashing out to them, trying to defend her status. And all of this just leaves her deeper and deeper into the arms of Nate. And he eventually tells her to come over to his house and kind of move in. And he's telling her he loves her, conflating her ego a bit more. It's interesting. I don't know. They're playing out the whole delusional Cassie gag kind of just way too long it's a little bit unrealistic but that's the point that we find her with leading into the the finale with the play and everything and Nate has Nate has been doing the most this season I mean his plot line has been the most riveting it's been the most detailed most ups and downs uh in episode six we see him return the disc to Jules in a very heartfelt moment um this was interesting you know he's kind of apologizing to Jules in this way, giving her the power to do with the disc what she pleases. And in, in that action, that's a very selfless act, right? However, right before she leaves, he, he expresses a sentiment that everything that he said before when they had their little texting relationship, that he meant it. And Jules actually repeats a sentiment back to him. You know, Nate is a crazy villain. You know, we see him taking advantage of Maddie, of Cassie all the time and being this physical threat and a danger to everyone around him, especially when he drinks. However, there is this like heartfelt core of a relationship to, between him and Jules that really just confuses me. It's not something that they've shown too much attention on this season. It's really only in this conversation that you, you would think about it. However, it does seem like the series is making a note to not let you to totally forget about it, and that there is going to be a way that they kind of loop back into that plotline at some point. I don't know. I hope they're not endgame because that would just be twisted. But there's clearly more 
more story to be had between those two characters. I'm really interested to see where that goes. Shortly after, Nate cements him, <laughs> just as I'm starting to feel for the guy a little bit, he immediately goes Zero Dark Thirty villain mode again, and he goes into Maddie's house. Or, excuse me, this actually happened on his way to get to Jules. This is how he acquired the disc. But he basically is putting a gun to Maddie's face, completely terrorizing. He broke in. The scene where Maddie is changing and doesn't realize that Nate is in her house, the way that that plays out just so slowly, so eerily, he is like a Batman villain in the scene, truly terrifying, and they really take their time with it to drive home just how menacing Nate can be. He is genuinely scary, not even just for high school stakes. He would be a scary person if you threw him in Game of Thrones. He, You really get the sense that he's capable of doing truly horrendous things. At this point, Nate is constantly driving around town with a buzz on. He's full-on alcoholic mode in high school, and he always has a strap-on with him. It's kind of like Chekhov's gun, you know, even by the f- end of the finale, we don't see Nate actually use his gun. But um, if we are to believe the narrative rule that is Chekhov's gun, at some point he's going to use it against somebody. So that's yet to be seen who that'll be. And uh, I don't know, start making your guesses now because by the end of the finale, there's only a few people left on the board that he could really target. It's worth noting that in this one episode, truly in just half of this one episode, Nate kind of launches an attack on Maddie. He launches an attack on Jules, and then as soon as he's done interacting with Jules, he picks up the phone and calls Cassie and tells her to come over. Like, this man is actively has his hand in three different pots at one time, not to mention the drama of him and his father. There's a lot that Nate is dealing with, and there's actually a moment in this episode that his mom implies some traumatic thing that Nate experienced that turned him into this monster uh, at the time that he was about nine. I do think that it's implied that this is Nate discovering the tapes that his dad has. However, there could be, if you read into the situation a little more, the way the mom is trying to pry into him, perhaps there's some um, stronger underlying sexual trauma happening. Perhaps his father made him a victim in another way. That that is yet to be shown. I'm not sure. Uh, I might be reading into that a little bit too much, but they're really putting a lot on Nate this season. All right, the rest of this conversation is really going to be breaking down the play and all the other crazy events that unfold in the finale, but let's just dive right into this play. I know I'm not the first to say this, but how the hell are these high schoolers pulling this play off? I get it, Euphoria High School is like in LA, it's very Hollywood or whatever, but not only is the budget and uh, performance level way too ridiculous for a high school play, but... Especially when you get into the finale and all the craziness starts happening. Everyone's on stage fighting and everything. Where are the teachers? Why are they allowed to do any of this? And where is the adult supervision? I don't know if I've ever seen a teacher in Euphoria at all. Like, I really can't recall it. These kids are just just roaming the streets doing whatever they want to do. I went to a crazy high school where people were doing drugs and drinking and all sorts of things. But even at my school, you know, people weren't getting away with dressing like Cassie at school and, you know, doing all these type of crazy plays. Uh, I That being said, uh, if you just kind of disregard that ridiculous nature of it all and just enjoy this play, it is a marvel to see. And seeing Lexi pull it off is super, super satisfying to see her get that uh, kind of main character moment, if you will. One thing that should be noted is, although Fez has you know, express this sentiment that he's going to be front row at that play. You know he's going to be there. He's he's Lexi's biggest fan at this point. He doesn't make it to the play. And that's where we shift focus just a little bit. 
the there's a character who was originally introduced with Faye. You know, Faye's kind of been adopted into Fez's family at this point. And he approaches Faye with this plan to kind of trap Fez and Ashtray, pin the whole murder on them, even though it is kind of their fault. At this point, he's working with the police. Um, so this is where you really get some challenging character moments for Faye. We've seen her getting close to Fez in the background of these episodes over this time. Um, and now this is really where she's challenged to kind of pick a, pick a side. We know in the finale that she ultimately chooses Fez's side, but there's a lot of tension that they use in the meantime to kind of grapple with that. Now that I'm really thinking about it, there's some nice small moments between Fez and Faye in episode seven where he's asking, you know, do I look handsome? Do you know, do you think a girl would like me? And she agrees that they would. And you really see the innocence of Fez. And there's plenty of conversations between these two episodes that we get between Fez and Lexi. You know, they're all back. Um, they're like scenes of him, you know, remembering these are all things that happened in the past, you know, getting us caught up, setting the stage. And their cute sentiment that they want to live on a prairie together and, oh, I just can't get enough of them. And the heartbreaking nature of everything that happens in that finale is just gut-wrenching. Right before we dive into the play, there's an interesting scene between Cassie and Nate once they've kind of reunited together where Cassie is telling him that he, she wants him to tell her what to eat, what to wear, what to do all the time. She wants to be completely subservient to him and that she'll know that there's no one better in the world. It's a very interesting kind of sentiment. I kind of got a sense that there's an odd amount of independence in there that, you know, she wants to be subservient, but she wants to put herself in this role in his life. I don't know. It's just super interesting. It, it is subservient, but I think that there is oddly a note of independence in that sentiment. It's very odd. It was weird to see, but... I know me and the audience, I feel like at this point, everyone's just screaming at their TV for her to just wake the fuck up and get out of this situation. But that's where it is coming into the play. Now, the play is we all we all knew throughout the season that this play was probably going to be Lexi airing out everybody's dirty laundry. And that's exactly what it is. She cast everybody in the play to look exactly like uh, all of her friends. Uh, we got Rue, we got Maddie, Cassie, Kat, we got the whole gang in there, and even Ethan to play Nate Jacobs. Like I said, Ethan kills it, uh, even especially his portrayal of of Lexi and Cassie's mom. Super great, super comedic. I mean, this guy deserves an Emmy just for his performance there alone. But what we see is basically, you know, she's essentially airing out her trauma. Every kind of major life event that's happened, uh, she's re replaying those on stage in front of everyone to see. Um, we we get a lot of big moments between her and Cassie, kind of underlying their relationship with their father and his addiction and everything like that. And we also get to we get to see the funeral of Rue's dad. And how the girls kind of come around around that, a lot of the important conversations around that time in their lives and how that kind of cemented this um, this girl squad in a way. Even though they've somewhat splintered, that is kind of the core of what Lexi's play is about, is kind of this girl squad and their friendship from middle school. There's a funny moment when Maddie uh, kind of realizes that this play is about them and she's just like, wait a minute, is this play about us? And that really just uh, caps off the reaction of everybody. This ultimately culminates, this episode ends on a huge cliffhanger moment after Ethan delivers his beautiful performance of I Need a Hero. 
obviously making fun of Nate Jacobs. Everybody is turning their necks, looking at him, and you can see the fury building in on him. At the end of the episode, he storms out. Cassie follows him. The implication here being that, you know, Cassie must have shared details about Nate to to Lexi for him to kind of portray this, for her to portray this in her play. He takes her anger, he takes his anger out on Cassie and breaks up with him. The final shot that we get of this scene is Cassie breathing heavily, very much so looking like a bull ready to charge in against the door of the auditorium, ready to charge in to do who knows what. I know that was a lot of recap and that that actually took me a lot longer to recap uh, than I expected, but these episodes are so dense and have so many big moments, it's hard to not uh, go over a lot of them, but Let's jump right into the finale, and I'm even though this isn't where the episode picks up, I'm going to pick up the narrative right where it leaves off from the previous episode, which is Cassie breathing against the window, ready to storm in. And when she does, oh, shit hits the fan. She jumps right on stage and immediately starts kind of trying to drag Lexi's name through the mud here. She's like, oh, you think this is funny? You think it's nice to kind of unpack your trauma? Oh, poor Lexi. You know, she's really making a scene here. The 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 words that cut the most deep are uh, you've never even lived. That's why you can judge all of us. And I got to say, that's not not true. What Cassie's saying there is actually low key facts. However, it's just a little cruel to throw her sister out on stage like that. To be fair, her sister is throwing her out the same way. I mean, we even see she had ready for her actress, the one playing her sister's role, to have that whole, you know, sexual scene that she had on the merry-go-round. I mean, that's a very private moment and a very embarrassing one. I kind of, I mean, it's crazy that Cassie really, you know, makes a huge scene and blows everything up. But I have to say, considering all the dirty laundry that Lexi's airing out here as well, and her references are not subtle, we know who she's talking about, I kind of think it's justified. I don't think that Lexi is allowed to kind of air out people's secrets and stuff like this in private moments and not expect to be have the same thing done to her in a public setting. I mean, I, I got to give it to Cassie, at least as it, in regards to Cassie's relationship to Lexi and everything that she says in regards to that. Totally fair game. Now, if we recontextualize it a little bit in terms of Cassie's relationship to Maddie and everything she's done with Nate, Cassie's still the one on, in the wrong. And they start airing all that out on stage. Maddie starts calling her a cunt. Cassie calls her a cunt back. Next thing you know, Maddie's on stage and <laughs> she's followed by uh, Kat. And I don't know the third friend's name. She's definitely like a minor character role, but she's just running behind Maddie saying, beat her ass, Maddie, beat her ass, just really adding fuel to the fire. And seeing Maddie actually finally come up on Cassie and get her comeuppance was very satisfying. The first thing we see is a bitch slap to the face followed by a chase scene into the hallway where Maddie even gets to smack Cassie's head against the brick wall. <laughs> Super fun. I There was a lot of energy to the scene, and overall it just broke into all-out pandemonium. Um, uh, I certainly expected something of this effect to go down, but seeing it all go was super fun to watch. I, I just thought it was a great scene overall. This eventually leads to all the girls uh, sitting around in the bathroom. We see this. We see a lot of scenes of the girls' room. Um throughout the series there's a lot of big moments happen with all the girls culminating in the bathroom every time i see this i'm getting flashbacks of the amanda show the girls room i think there's a great snl bit to be had there combining those two concepts but 
there's a sentiment that Cassie expresses to them saying, you know, before I did all that, Nate broke up with me anyways. You know, she's really down in her luck. You know, this is a glimpse of maybe Cassie finally realizing that Nate's kind of the problem in this scenario. And everyone's kind of, you know, chilled out for a moment here. They, the fighting has already subsided. You know, Maddie and Cassie are in the same room and they're, they're not actively fighting anymore. Maddie's response to this sentiment is, oh, this is just the beginning. Don't worry. And then she walks out. So there's clearly still beef. I think that Maddie's gotten her chance to let her anger out on Cassie at this point. And so now they can, I don't think they're on the same page, but I think that there is a little bit more room for growth and, you know, actual change coming into our next season. I think that seeing the character changes moving forward from here will be very interesting, especially Maddie now that she's kind of completely untethered to Nate. I'm really excited to see where her, her character goes and what, what, what's in store for her. Before I get into the way bigger moments that happen in this episode, there's some jaw-dropping things that go down. I want to talk about the weird moment between Rue and Elliot. This is Rue on her tour of apologies, and she's visiting Elliot, and they're kind of having a heart-to-heart. And you could see that she's still a little resentful of him because he's very hypocritical. He is using, we find that out in this conversation, that he is still using. He's still in his addiction, and she's not going to rat him out, even though she expresses to him that even though she's mad at him, he probably saved her life. And she can kind of see that with that level of clarity now. She's still willing not to tell his secret. They repeat this weird sentiment that they're not good for each other, not good for each other's lives. And then he asks if he can sing her a song. I've seen a lot of critiques on this song, even though it was really beautiful. I mean, it was an excellent performance. The, the actor playing Elliot is a beautiful musician, and it was nice to see it was a bit jarring to have this smack dab in the middle of such a high-paced episode. It really kind of, it, it just really slowed things down a bit. And it was very, it's not that this type of scene wasn't a great one to have. I just don't know if it needed to be in this episode, or at least not in the middle of this episode. Um, yeah, it was just a little bit funny. And the fact that he said it's not finished yet after he had like a full-on three-minute music video is just ridiculous. But I'm really interested to see what we do with Elliot moving forward in this season. I was expecting him to die and that be the reason why uh, Rue decides to get sober. I, I thought that was in store for him. That certainly could be what's on the table for him moving forward, considering that he is still using right now. Um, however, it's just he's he's left on a very weird note. He is a villain, in my opinion. I mean, he straight up fucked Jules. I don't know if Rue no, knows about that. He also aided in Rue's addiction and ratted her out and still finds himself in his own addiction. So he's not, he's he doesn't really have too many redeeming qualities except for his uh, cuteness and his singing, you know. So I don't know. He, he gets left on a very empty note at the end of the season. And I, I am very curious to see what happens next with his character, though. After Nate stormed out of his play, we see him driving to where we're not sure yet. Um, but he's swigging that beer like usual and getting that gun ready. That That's just classic Nate at this point. You don't see him without a beer and a gun. Um, <laughs> we find out that he pulled up to his dad's like construction site. Um, this is where he's been kind of hiding out. And at this point, he's turned it straight up into a brothel. There's, uh, there's multiple people there. He's basically having a little party. Everyone seems to be of gender and age ambiguity. Um, obviously, that just feeds into Nate's kind of sexualism. He is spending his time with with these 
uh, they're kind of they're I it's I honestly am not sure that I could identify what they're you know where they are in the gender spectrum just by looking at them, but it's all ambiguous. Um, guys who seem like girls or vice versa, and that's kind of that sweet spot for Nate. Excuse me for Cal for Cal Jacobs. He's his his sexual trauma. If I were to try to get a read on it, it's that he has all these unresolved feelings and desire from his previous relationship with the guy he got with that one time, and. Anything he's trying to do beyond that is just trying to recapture whatever that sexual fantasy was from his childhood. Um, he's living it up, clearly, and when Nate pulls up on him, he's immediately shameful. He doesn't offer any kind of hug, any kind of condolences towards his son. Overall, he's just... He's the cream of the crop asshole. I mean, the way he's completely dismissed his children, I mean, he says that it's his fault, but... You know, everything he's done, I think he's just number one villain in the series. I really expected Nate to get into a gun battle with him. I thought maybe we would see Nate actually kill his father in this scene. But instead, what he does is actually turn his father into the police, along with a USB with all of the evidence of all the sexual encounters that he's had. Um, of course, there. If you, you'll, you'll remember the detail that he did get consent from everybody on tape in his videos. Um you know, if even going back to that scene with Jules in the first episode, he says, how old are you? And she says 21. So, you know, in that sense, he is protected. But you'll also realize that all these people were recorded without his without their knowledge. So that's probably going to be what really does him in. Um, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, Cal Jacobs is put away. This is kind of a hero moment for Nate. Um, <laughs> on paper, at least, you know, on paper, this is a very heroic thing to do. Um, you know, big W for the series at large, not having Cal running around their town is a net positive for everybody. However, he says that he just wanted revenge. And think about it. This came out, he came and decided to do this directly from the play where he was getting embarrassed. You know, he really is just displacing his anger, taking it out on his father because he didn't have a way to, to get revenge in the play in that moment, if that makes sense. It's very funny to me that he was at the play, saw his depiction of his character, and was just like, I need justice, and went out to attack his dad. Um, A little bit silly, but just revealing to Nate's character that even when he does something good, it's still for his own benefit at the end of the day. All right, let's get into the the elephant in the room here. We're going to be breaking down everything that fell out between Ashtray, Fez, whatever that other guy's name is, and Faye. Let's get into it. So we cut to the scene where Fez is, he's, he's on his way out the door. He's almost heading over to the part to see the play for Lexi. He's so excited. Fez never goes out in the town. He never gets to hang out. This is like his big night, you know, he's all dressed up and everything. And then that's when he kind of notices that something's off. There's something weird in the air. And he's like, is everything good? Um, that's when the, I don't know what his name is. I really don't. But the guy who's affiliated with Mouse he starts kind of being like, I need to talk to you. And it's pretty clear Fez Fez has his spidey senses tingling at this point. He knows that this is a little bit weird and odd and can sense that something's off. This is the moment that Faye really comes through. She drops, quote unquote, drops uh, a glass on the ground, which shatters, you know, into a bunch of pieces. And while she's on the ground, she kind of gives Fez that clue that, you know, she puts her finger to her lips, you know, don't say anything. Fez is super smart. I have to give it to him. This is a guy who never went to school, but he's so quick on the uptake. He he starts to piece together this whole situation immediately. 
and he's immediately in control. However, Ashtray's pretty smart too, and he can pick up on what's going on as well. The only difference is while Ashtray can pick up on these details, he's way too impulsive. And just like we, we see Ashtray love to do, we saw this you know, at the end of the last season, and this is happening at the end of this season too. He, he jumps at the opportunity and throws a knife right into the guy's neck. You know, as he's as he's going to do this, Fez is saying, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. And it's it's just too late. He does it. And and from every everything from this point forward just goes from bad to worse to worse to even worse, man. You know, and, and before I get into all that, I have to say, if Ashtray hadn't done this, I think that Fez would have been able to navigate the situations where they don't have anything on him. Faye even was you know, actually pointing the finger at Lori. That was a genius move, in my opinion. She was saying, you told me it was Lori. What are you talking about? You know, not only does this get the, you know, it, it discredits the guy who's trying to frame, who's trying to frame Fez, and maybe that makes the police not want to work with him anymore. Not only that, but it points the direction to Lori, and that that would have solved, you know, if the police came down on Lori, that would have gotten Lori off of Rue's back, because like I said earlier, I, I think there's unfinished business there. I don't think we've seen the last of Lori. So realistically, that, that solution would have worked for everybody, but Ashtray just doesn't get that, and he, he drives that knife right into the dude's neck. Ashtray's a stone-cold killer. I don't know if we've seen anybody in the series do any more damage than Ashtray, and he's by far the youngest character. Um... However, like I said, Fez is quick on the uptake and he immediately starts going into problem solving mode and he, you know, blocks the dude's mouth. So that way the the recording that's happening, you can't, you know, he he doesn't want to let to let the police know that this guy just got stabbed immediately, which is what would have happened. They would have broken it, broken in within seconds. What we see play out is a number of heartbreaking scenes that I will not soon forget powerful moment from fez talking to ashtray telling him i did this you need to go you know go out there just turn yourself in you're gonna get out soon enough i did this you go that makes perfect sense from fez's character this is his brother more than that this is in a way kind of his child fez took care of this person from the point that he was 10 and this and you know ashtray was just a baby this is mainly this is his main family like this is his number one person in his life and of course, Fez isn't going to let him die, A, die, or B, serve as much time. Of course, Fez is going to take the rap for this one. That's totally within Fez's character. He's, you know, really stepping up to be a hero in this moment. But Ashtray is just too hard-headed. He, he won't hear it. He just won't hear it. He immediately starts strapping the fuck up and making himself a little bunker in the bathroom. He's ready for a final stand. He's, he's about that violence for some reason. Um... Much to, you know, Fez is actively trying to make this not happen. He's begging Ashtray to wake up to his senses and just listen to what he's saying, you know. Ashtray goes as far as to deck Fez in the face, makes him, you know, fall down for a second, and that's when the police come in. This, the way that the police break in, I mean, it's a full-on raid. It feels like you're watching something out of, like, a war movie. I mean, it, it really, shit really hits the fan. At this point, Fez has the knife in his hand, so it's pretty clear, you know, the implication, at least from the perspective from the police, is that Fez is definitely the one behind all this, and he's just screaming, Ashtray, no, just just come on out, Ashtray, don't. Not only is he screaming at Ashtray not to start this violence, but he's screaming at the police, you know, that's just a kid, he's doing everything in his power, he, he's the one thing in between Ashtray and the police at this point doing everything in his power to make this not happen you know he's he knows what's about to happen and he just wants it not to 
Ashtray's the first one to pull to take a shot again. And I, you know, I played the scene back a few times, and it's pretty clear. Ashtray shoots Fez. Like, like how dumb can he be? Like, Ashtray ruins everything. The first shot that happens goes at a police officer and at Fez. Like, come on, Ashtray. Like, you really, you really fumbled the bag here. Of course, this leads to a, a showering of bullets on against the door, you know. Um, it, it's all out war, you know. Ashtray's just shooting back. He doesn't know what he's shooting at. He can't even see. And the police are just, you know, laying down the bullets on the ashtray at this point. Eventually, this culminates in a heartbreaking scene where, you know, everyone thinks maybe Ashtray's dead. The police walk in, but he was just faking it. He pulls up, pulls out a shotgun, and shoots just the one police officer that's right there in front of him. I don't know what he was thinking because there's obviously a lot more police officers there. Um, that clearly wasn't going to go well for him, but I guess Ashtray's just the type to go down in a blaze of glory. He He's not going to get put in cuffs. He's going down swinging, which is just all he's known kind of since he was a child. All this time, you see Fez on the ground just screaming. You see blood pouring out of him, and he's just crying, Ashtray, Ash, Ash, just over and over again, really like echoing in your ears just the terrible sentiment of it all. At this moment, what really went through my mind was just how much Fez never had a chance. I mean, he 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 was, you know, pulled up by his grandma when he was like 10 years old. His he, he never went to school after that and he would just immediately started learning, you know, the drug life and he suffered this concussion and he just never really had a chance to be anything other than what he is. In this episode, you know, we're getting those sentiments that he wants to live a quiet life on the prairie. He doesn't want all this, you know? He's just trying to do this to get himself out of this situation, give himself, let him provide a life for for Ash, which, you know, at this point, Ash is in the same situation Fez is. There's no there's no real solution, but he has a little bit more time, or at least he did. After Ashtray takes out the police officer, we get the worst scene I've seen. Like, we've seen a lot of terrible scenes play out very slowly, but this one was the most gut-wrenching. Ash is sitting there on his knees, He's got no he's got no options left and you see the red dot slowly travel up from his chest over into the middle of his forehead. And as soon as that happens, we cut to Fez's Fez's point of view watching this happen. He's staring his brother in the face right now while there's a gun pointed right at his forehead. And then we hear the bullet shot. We know that Ashtray's face was just blown off in front of Fez for him to watch it. That was his brother, the person he raised person he's been taking care of his little mini me this whole time he had to sit there and watch that happen i don't think fez is dying in this scene i think he's going to serve some time but i don't know how he can recover from that this is easily the worst thing that's happened just depression wise tragic wise this is really rock bottom for everyone involved here and the sentiment is just driven home even that much more aggressively as fez is being pulled up out of the scene assumably to go into a cop car as we see the letter that he had for Lexi with his own blood coated on it, amongst all the shattered glass and rubble from the shootout that just happened. Again, anybody who saw this scene knows how heartbreaking it was, really hard to watch, and I don't know, it's going to stick with me for a long time. I, it, it's hard to recover from this. For the final moments, we cut back over to the play. After shit hit the fan and Cassie and Maddie all hit the stage, you know, the show must go on, and we see Lexi's assistant kind of talk her back into it. 
This character is definitely cool. She actually makes a pretty decent impression in the only the couple episodes that she's really present for. She's just like Lexi's number two, and she really respects her artistic vision. And I really like her. She's a nice little soldier to have around. And along with her help, they put the play back on, and they have their magnificent finale. The rest of the play is really structured around Rue's uh, big funeral scene with at her dad's funeral. All of her friends and family are there present for this, and we we see her eulogy uh played back out you know her her words that she spoke in front of everyone this is Rue's kind of final moments before she fully slips into addiction um and we see her kind of break down and just have these heartbreaking sentiments that she we've seen this already played out multiple times but we get to see it again on stage here um cut from scenes of the on stage back to real life and super super hard to watch you know I I I think that this is kind of the last time that we'll really unpack these events and I'm okay with that. I think seeing it played out and drawn out in this way again is a nice way to bookend it and finally mark some kind of progress for Rue to go on in the next season. What's especially nice is to see Jules perspective after seeing this. One thing that I think is interesting is we almost never get Jules perspective throughout the series. She's obviously one of the most important characters and so much plot happens around her, but we don't ever really get to see what's going on in her head. And, you know, her and Rue have had conversations about Rue's father before, but, you know, Jules came in after the fact and she never knew Rue before. So it's nice to get this level of perspective into Rue and that kind of changes the context a little bit and motivates Jules to kind of reach back out to Rue at the end of this play. What's also nice is as we're getting this final eulogy, you know, the ending to this play, we're also seeing that, you know, post-play, Rue actually ends up calling Lexi and asking her to hang out again. I, I would really love to see their friendship kind of re-blossom. I think that's a very, a very natural place for Rue to be at in this place. And it's nice because we've seen a lot of implication that they had this best friendship, you know, Rue and Lexi, but it's, it's kind of, uh, it's all tell, no show. And I'm happy to see... I'm happy to see the implication that moving forward, we're going to see those characters played off of each other a little bit more. I'm really excited to see what that dynamic really looks like in the present story. The final scene that we get in the play is that of all the, you know, all the portrayal of the friends, all the girls kind of lined up, sitting together in a nice little moment of unity and, you know, girl power friendship um, at this at the end of, of Rue's dad's funeral. They're kind of all there for each other. Um, it then, you know, life imitates art as we get a real life shot of the real picture that all these girls were all together for. Nice little moment in it. And it does drive home that the point of this narrative was to um, to show how splintered their relationships are now, even though at the heart of it, there is like a, a core friendship that the, that positive sentiment that Lexi's trying to get across. It's a shame that Maddie and Cassie didn't get to see the end of this play because I think that was really the true point of it and that there's a strong message of hope and togetherness at the core of it. That being said, uh, they totally looked like Pretty Little Liars sitting there, but I just thought that was kind of a funny little reference. But yeah, and that's pretty much how the episode ends. We get a nice little outro narration from Rue saying that um, she wants to get better. We've seen this kind of sentiment from her before. However, this is the most progress we've ever seen Rue take on with her sobriety. And just that she's not in the place she necessarily wants to be right now. She knows that she has a lot of struggle ahead of her, but she's finally on a path forward. Um, yeah, I, I do you guys I don't know if I believe she's going to be sober. You know, I don't know. Maybe 
maybe this series has made me so skeptical. I've seen so many bad things happen that I have a really hard time believing that Rue's actually going to stay sober. And there's just this gut feeling that stays, you know, behind me that thinks that Rue's going to die at some point. I don't know. Hopefully that hopefully when we come back in season three, though, we don't see a relapse from Rue. Hopefully we see her hopping in therapy and, you know, we get the magic ending of her and Jules together. I don't know. But yeah, that pretty much is going to bring this conversation to a close. It's a really interesting way to end the season, especially considering it's going to be probably two years before we see any more Euphoria. We end on this very dark note of uh, Fez's capture, Ash's death, and, you know, that whole fallout. It's nice to see that Cal is locked up, so that plot line is more or less dealt with for now. And it's nice to see a nice, you know, hopeful note for Rue moving forward in her relationship to her sobriety. Um... But yeah, it was a good finale. The season, I will say, it had its ups and downs. Uh, I think it was a little short. And the, you know, the Cassie, Nate, Maddie plot, I think that that took a lot of the space of the season. And it didn't necessarily need to. Um, I think that was drawn out a bit much or maybe handled not in the most effective way. And it felt like the season really just went by, you know, the timeline of it feels really quick as well. But the finale definitely stuck the landing for me. We definitely got the big payoffs that we were leading to. And overall, (laughs) Euphoria season two manages to turn in another great entertaining piece of entertainment that uh, I'm just eating popcorn every second of it all the way through here. But yeah, Euphoria season two. I know that was a bit of a a lengthy conversation. I tend to babble on a little much on these, but if you made it this far, I do appreciate it. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram and on TikTok at The Darius Show. And for any feedback to hit me up on my email, thedshowpod at gmail.com. That's thedshowpod at gmail.com. That's been another episode of The Darius Show. Thank you for giving it a listen, and I love you.